0: The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review on this last day of the month of May. Oh, my gosh. It's May 31st already. It is also the last day of the week. That means it is a free-for-all Friday where we try to do lightning round updates on all the things we haven't gotten to. Well, not all the things because that would be impossible to fit in. But a lot of the things, the best best amount of uh, information that we could pack into this action-packed show. So much going on, so we're going to get right to it, even though my voice is kind of waning on me. Um, I don't know if I made the mistake of drinking from my four-year-old's cup again, if that's what got me a summertime cold, but my throat's hurting me. So we'll start off with immigration as usual, make our rounds, hopefully we can get a little bit to healthcare, oil sanctions, ethanol, some other stuff going on. So, a lot of people are asking me, okay, what do you think of Trump's big announcement? Um, Well, his big announcement wasn't what we were hoping it would be or what was reported or rumored to be about. But what what it was about was his announcement of... Now, it's not an announcement. It's a threat of a 5% tariff on Mexico until they close their border. So, I want to start off with a line that I want to be etched in your soul. It's a rhetorical question. Quote, what does sovereignty mean if it does not include the ability to defend your borders? What does sovereignty mean if it does not include the ability to defend your borders? It's a simple but eloquent statement. Rhetorical question in the form of a rhetorical question. Um, who, Who do you think said that? Do you know who said that line? Well, that statement was said on April 25th, 2012. It was made by Justice Antonin Scalia. In the oral arguments of Arizona of the United States, when Arizona was forced to defend writing laws that simply complemented and helped enforce federal immigration law, people who, pursuant to federal law, are not allowed to be in the federal union They said, well, they're not allowed to be in the state union. Okay? So it's that simple. That simple. He he said, look, states are still sovereign. You can't dump in a state people who, pursuant to law, can't be there. A state, in his mind, had the ability to defend its border. Yet we all seem to believe including this president, including those around him, that we cannot, we are not allowed to defend our border. Not militarily. We can't use lawful power to shut off the border. Trump again tweets out today, immigration law, bad immigration laws. We keep seeding that high ground. He keeps getting bad advice on that. When it's California judges raping The good laws, it's not the laws, and the laws were reiterated and re-upped in 1996, passed the Senate unanimously, expedited removal of anyone who comes here and is not here for two two years, no review of an immigration judge, much less an Article 3 judge, shall be detained, turns into shall not be detained, The president keeps raising the specter that he cannot do the obvious, no matter what, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how insane, and we're going to talk about the numbers. He has to find parsimonious ways to beg other countries to do our job. You know, they always said, the left would say, the pseudo right, they always said over the years, especially when the illegal immigration was mainly from Mexico, Mexicans are doing the jobs Americans won't do. That was their line. Well, evidently, now we have Mexico's politicians have to do the job our president will not do. Now, my critique of the president is always more nuanced and very different than what you're going to hear from other people. I don't mind, in the abstract, the president threatening certain tools including tariffs, to leverage Mexico. I can't stand their government. I have no problem doing that. But here is why it is off message, opens up an entire new policy front against him and distracting from the cartels and immigration, distracting against what he can be doing. And then ultimately, it's not going to work. I'm, I'm loath to directly criticize it because I I appreciate that he is at least willing to try things and recognize that what we're doing is not working but it's the wrong door and unlike others I've given him many doors you know I hate when people just criticize everything he tries to do and they don't offer anything affirmative um but that is where we're headed now so let me let, let, let me um, <sighs> l- l- let's start from here it won't work so ultimately you're not going to see a result from it so before we get to the negatives let's talk about the positives you're not going to see a result the reason is very simple I have an article up with a map. I spoke about this before. The Mexican security cabinet admits that they ha- are are not controlling eighty percent of their territory. We could we could threaten them into submission, and it won't matter. They cannot secure their border. They don't have control over it. The cartels do. Which means that it's like Afghanistan. So that means that we need to take our own destiny in our own hand. You understand what it's like going on? It's like you have a 300-pound boxer, okay? And you have a 100-pound woman beating you up. And you turn to a 150-pound just regular layman man and say, could you please save me from... This woman beating me up. That's what America, that's what the American government is like now. Now, look, I want this shut down anyway. So if it's even that absurd analogy, if it could work, look, I'm all for it. It's not. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for bullying the Mexican government. But there's, to what end? To, oh, secure your border. They're not going to secure it. They can't. But what I think would work is to help us secure our border with some of the lawfare. Now, again, I think we just need 1182F shutoff. But if you want to go the other route, if you want to go the other route and go a little bit less than that, it's to have Mexico sign a formal third party agreement because that they can do. I mean, the Mexican government, they might not have control over much of their territory, but they are a government, a recognized government, and they could sign as long as they sign it on a piece of paper. So Trump could say, look, there's a third-party agreement, so now I could turn all of them back and say you have to wait in Mexico. And that was almost essentially what Politico was teasing out that Trump was going to do with the big announcement. That's what – it's got to be about us securing our border, not begging someone else who can't do it anyway to secure their border. But what I'm telling you is he's not totally wrong. There are ways of leveraging Mexico. I think if you want to use that, you could use it towards that. But then there's the other issue too, which is this. Look, all the the media and the phony conservatives and the anti-Trump conservatives that are suddenly, oh, it's, you know, they don't give a damn about the deleterious effects of illegal immigration. And suddenly they're worried about the effects of, of the tariffs on taxing a bunch of products to to Americans. They're worried about the effects of Trump's reaction to it. That bothers me. They have no right to complain, but I do, because I do care about it. And my fear is Trump is just exposing himself to a new policy. If you make it all about immigration and the cartels, here's what they're doing, therefore I must and I have the power to shut it down. But if you're like, here's what they're doing and therefore I'm going to put tariffs on. All that does is expose you to a tax debate now. So now we're everyone's just going to be talking about oh the 80 billion dollar tax on you know uh, hundreds of billions of imported goods and 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 they're going to have endless stories of all the ways we're affected and and there's some truth to it. It's not that it's not true. It's just it's just not smart and especially cuz at the end of the road it's not going to help. Now, a better point of leverage if you want to go this route which doesn't just leverage the Mexican government but leverages the aliens themselves and their behavior and will deter them, is don't put a tax on goods lawfully coming across the border. Put a tax on the illegals. Tax the remittances. Why? I mean, there's been a hundred things, good ideas, all my ideas, other people's ideas that Trump has teased out and he hasn't done. Direct the Treasury Department to block those remittances. Boy, would that tamp it down because at the end of the day, work is still the biggest um, asset because still a lot of them coming are really males. They're just coming with a kid to, with, the, with the whole lawfare game, but it's not a matter of like families fleeing. There's It's still the same traditional illegal immigration coming for work, most of it. That's the biggest tool you have. To leverage Mexico, you better... Not let them in your border. Otherwise, we'll tariff you. I mean, they, they just don't have control. I'm just telling you, that's just a reality. So this was the big announcement. Again, Trump continues to flounder, and he's going to get blowback no matter what he does. But at least go the straight and narrow, the things that will get the biggest bang for the buck, that will directly address the problem, directly speaks to his authority. And we'll keep the focus on, so what are they going to say? Oh, now we're not going to have illegal immigrants. Well, American people don't care. Here they get to say, Americans are going to be taxed. And then now it's, oh, you're hurting Americans, not illegals. You're the one hurting them. It's certainly unfair the people that don't care about illegals suddenly attacking Trump on that. But tariffs generally are not good. I've said before, I have a more pragmatic view that I don't mind as part of statecraft using it as a threat to negotiate to sometimes threaten tariffs. But just the end goal of tariffs is just not good. But sometimes, I mean, for negotiating purposes, there is fruit that is born from it. And in some agreements like with Europe, I think it did work. But just in general, it's not a good idea. Now, one other point, Agree or disagree with Trump, this does underscore how immigration is so sensitively or so inextricably tied up in sensitive diplomatic negotiations, which is another reason why courts have no jurisdiction. And this, again, Trump needs to use, again, what? Executive power, bully pulpit, and veto pen. Why is he continuing? (laughs) Meaning, once you accede that a district judge... Could shut down immigration law, and instead you message it as if the, immigra- the immigration laws are the problem. You're done. Oh, I'm gonna threaten tariffs on Mexico. Just you will get less blowback than people understand if you push back against the district judge's absurd judgment and give ten reasons why he's wrong, rather than the tariffs on all these goods. I'm just telling you, and that directly addresses the problem. That is the problem, as the California judges. So um, that's, that's where we are with that. So on the court front, what happened last night, the same nutty judge in the Northern District of California that said he put an injunction on building the border wall, denied the request from the administration to continue construction pending the outcome. I mean, so again, they're playing this game. Could, could we please keep building? I mean, they're, 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 <sighs> this administration, no matter how bad the border gets, no matter how absurd these rulings are, I I don't blame them for the rulings, but they're happening under your watch. And if you countenance them and you agree to them and you accede to them and you legitimize them, then you are raising the specter that even this degree of border emergency, of invasion... We can't do anything about. Even this degree of separation of powers abuse from a judge is is um is okay. I mean, rather than coming out tomorrow and saying, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tax the goods of all these products, and 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 let's just say, even if the media is exaggerating, but the perception will be that every product is gonna be more expensive now. That really affects Americans. Isn't it easier just to say, um, This judge is ruling on something that is in New Mexico and Arizona. And he's in California and not even the Southern district at the border. He's the Northern district of California. He has no jurisdiction. There's no standing. He doesn't have control over appropriations. He doesn't have a control over military spending. He doesn't have a control over denial of entry. And done. I mean, that that's a lot easier People care about their pocketbook. You know, the media and others, these NGOs will go, no, it's all of bees uh, becoming a dictator. No one's going to care about that. That's the reality. Which leads me to another point. How, to what extent, is this going to be a suicide pact? You know, I crunched the numbers last night. I got the April and May numbers. So just in Texas alone the border flow is going to be 19% higher in May than in April just in the state of Texas. I want you to understand when today is over with, the month is over, we'll have close to 80,000 illegal aliens caught, mainly released in the state of Texas alone. I want you to understand that that is a flow of a million a year. A million a year. We haven't gotten a flow of a million a year since 2006 over the entire border. And this is a pace of a million in the state of Texas. And unlike back then, when there were often repeat uh, entries, these are unique individuals you have never had anything like this. And still you're going to be like, oh, it's asylum. It's not. Aside from the fact that he could shut off asylum, but both the international treaty and the INA, it's written in, in singular individual language. So yesterday it was announced that in El Paso on Wednesday, they apprehended 1,036 people in one group. So normally... Normally, they apprehend, um, you know, when these groups started, it was 200, 300, then 400. The record was somewhere around 450. And here, they sent in 1,000. Can you imagine the manpower it took to do that? You just don't let them in. You announce on a bullhorn. You are inadmissible. We are not taking you. Trespassers will be pro- prosecuted. Done. And frankly, most of them will turn back. And if they if they get violent, then all the more so you have reason to deal with them. But instead, we we handle them. So could you imagine the resources that took? Could you imagine how many miles of patrol that shut down? I couldn't fathom, 1,036 people. Do you understand what the cartels were likely? I don't know which one it would have been because in El Paso, you got La Linea, you got Hellasco, Generation, got a little Sinaloa there, a um, couple others. But can you imagine whoever the plaza boss was there, what they're trying to get in and successfully got in at that point? I mean, this is the argument that's not given over. That is a military national security issue, as we said yesterday. But what I'm telling you is the first time this happened a year ago in these numbers, it would have been very easy to stand before the American people and say, first of all, I always have the power to shut off immigration. Go through all that. But anyway, even beyond that, this is not asylum. Everyone would have understood that it's individuals, one or two people come, maybe a few people. You can't have a thousand people emptying out the cartel strategically sending them in here. People would understand that if you give that over to them. But once you acceded to that, there's nothing I can do. I mean, they could come. The entire population of Guatemala could empty out to my country. Uh, There's nothing to do. Bad laws, the law says. Uh, Please, Mexico, maybe you can help me. Uh, There's nothing I can do. Then you, you, ironically, Trump is almost changing the law himself. He's creating a new baseline expectation that there's nothing he can do. So he's making it, the longer he does this, the harder he's making it for him to actually come and change the status quo. Because he himself seated that high ground. No, lawfully, there's nothing I can do. I have to let them in. Or yeah, a court, a court put an injunction. A court stopped it. That's where his effort and his political capital and his bully pulpit and his leverage need to go. And again, back it up by getting rid of DACA, by threatening vetoes of the budget bill, giving speeches every week on this. But if you just randomly open up a new front of tariffs, I mean, I, I don't mind some of the thoughts and strategies behind it. But the outcome and the and the avenue he's choosing, it's just the worst combo. It's just a distraction and it's just going to backfire. I, I feel for him. But it's just, you got to wake up. You got to wake up. But 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 here's the speech the president needs to give. He needs to be make very clear all the things we we say. The law says this, the case law says this. And even beyond that there's the overriding presidential authority delegated and inherent to shut it down. But then I would say even without all this, you reach the point where even the constitution is not a suicide pact. Even the constitution Is not a suicide pact. You mean to tell me a district judge violating law in the Constitution, including the very laws designed to prevent this, to say the exact opposite, is a suicide pact? A district judge is a suicide pact? That we will allow this degree of mayhem, threatening the fabric of our sovereignty. Let me tell you something. There was a case, many many of you have heard the language, the Constitution is not a suicide pact. Let me tell you where that came from. It's not that exact language. The word suicide pact is used. I'm going to quote, give, I'm going to give you the quote in a minute. It's from Justice Robert Jackson in his dissent in a 1949 case, Terminaleo, t- um, uh, Termin- Terminaleo, v. Chicago. Justice Robert Jackson, as you well know, was the champion of due process rights, of individual rights. He was the lead dissent in the Japanese internment Korematsu case. He was the lead prosecutor at the Nuremberg trial. In this case in Chicago, it was a matter of Chicago limiting the speech of like a fascist, like Nazi sympathizer in 1949 cuz they were scared about it causing mob riots. Now this was a case of straight up an American citizen straight up first amendment, straight up free of speech. But nonetheless, the violence that it would cause just in that city. So um the actual ruling was really for the individual against the city, but the line that everyone uses actually comes from the dissent of Robert Jackson, and he said like this. Um, let, let me let me give you a full background here. Um, let me see where to, um. Where to quote from here. Now, now keep in mind, he was very colored by his experience in Germany and understanding what happened there with the fascists and everything. So he says invocation of constitutional liberties as part of the strategy for overthrowing them presents a dilemma to free people, which may not be soluble by constitutional logic alone. but i would not be understood as suggesting that the united states can or should meet this dilemma by suppression of free open and public speaking on the part of any group or ideology suppression has never been a successful permanent policy any surface serenity that it creates is a false security while conspiratorial while conspiratorial forces go underground my confidence In American institutions and its sound sense of the American people is such that if, with a stroke of the pen, I could silence every fascist and communist speaker, I would not do it. And he went on to quote Woodrow Wilson on that, whatever. And then he, let me just skip. But if we maintain a general policy of free speaking, we must recognize that its inevitable consequence will be sporadic local outbreaks of violence, for it is the nature of men to be intolerant of attacks upon institutions, personalities, and ideas for which they really care. In the long run, maintenance of free speech will be more endangered if the population can have no protection from the abuses which lead to violence. No liberty is made more secure by holding that its abuses are inseparable from its enjoyment. We must not forget that it is the free democratic communities that ask us to trust them to maintain peace with liberty and that the factions engaged in this battle are not interested permanently in either. Well, what would... What would it matter to Terminalio, Terminilo, whatever? However, I can't pronounce that. But it would. What would mat, what, what would it matter to him if the police batter up some communists, or on the other hand, if the communists batter up some policemen? Either result makes grist for his mill. Either would help promote hysteria and the demand for strong-arm methods in dealing with his adversaries. And what, on the other hand, have the communist agitators to lose? From a battle with the police. This court has gone far toward, meaning the majority opinion, has gone far toward accepting the doctrine that civil liberty means the removal of all restraints from these crowds and that all local attempts to maintain order are impairments of the liberty of the citizen. The choice is not between order and liberty, it is between liberty with order and anarchy without either. There is danger that if the court does not temper its doctrinaire logic with a little practical wisdom, it will convert the Constitutional Bill of Rights into a suicide pact. Okay? So... That's where the state he didn't say the Constitution is not a state. He said, if we continue to go down this path, it will convert the Constitutional Bill of Rights into a suicide pact. He's talking about citizens, an American citizen with an unambiguous First Amendment right. Being you know charged with incitement or whatever, whatever the case was there. But nonetheless, whether you agree with him in this case or the majority opinion, but I think everyone understands it's become an aphorism. The Constitution is not a suicide pact that you reach a point where what he is saying is definitely there is truth to it and it's properly applied. That you you reach a point where liberty, where you have liberty with order or anarchy without either. That if you so take one aspect of the Constitution at the expense of everything else to the gates of hell, like Amelia Bedelia literalism, that you could reach a point where you get nothing. And you just destroy your entire country. How much more so when you're dealing with an invasion empowering and empowered by The most violent entities at our border with the cascading effects of human trafficking, sex trafficking, labor trafficking, crime, gangs, drugs, the safety net, the hospitals, the the threat of diseases, everything converging on that border. Even if there was a constitutional right to immigrate, Justice Jackson would tell you, you got to shut it down. How much more so when there is no such right? And the laws say, Shall be detained. And the president could shut it off. And a district judge. Are we going to make convert a district judge to a suicide pact? Let me move on to immigration specifically. I started out the show by citing the statement from Scalia. Scalia. About what is a sovereign nation if you can't defend your own border. He was talking about a state. He was saying sovereignty is so important that when you have the security and, and and fiscal problems of invaders, even a state should have a hand in defending its sovereignty. I want to read you to you what Scalia said about Arizona in the in the famous Arizona case. is is partial dissent in Arizona of the U S in 2012. So as you all know, Arizona sat, set forth to, um, you know, basically just add criminal extra criminal penalties to existing criminal federal law, help enforce federal law, harboring and transporting illegals, which is 1324, um, all this stuff. And, um, you know, the majority opinion ruled at least as applied to several clauses of the Arizona law and that include the jerk off um, Justice Roberts that no, you're preempted because only the federal government could do that. And Scalia said, I mean, he was really pissed. He read his dissent from the bench Um. Let me let me just uh, so so you know he 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 obviously um, just took apart the technicalities, legalities, and whatever. But then he got more philosophical at the end, and he says the court's uh, court opinions looming specter of inutterable horror. Quote: If Section Three of the Arizona statute were Valid, every state could give itself independent authority to prosecute federal registration violations, or right? That's what the majority said. So he said, that statement seems to me not so horrible and even less looming, but there has come to pass and is with us today, the specter that Arizona and the states that support it predicted, a federal government that does not want to enforce the immigration laws as written and leaves the state's borders unprotected against immigrants whom those laws would exclude. So this issue is a stark one. Are the sovereign states at the mercy of the federal executive's refusal to enforce the nation's immigration laws? A good way of answering that question is to ask Would the states conceivably have entered into the Union if the Constitution itself contained the court's holding? Today's judgment surely fails that test. At the Constitutional Convention of 1787, the delegates contended with the quote, with the jealous with the jealousy of the states with regard to their sovereignty. Through ratification of the fundamental charter that the convention produced, the states ceded much of their sovereignty to the federal government, but much of it remained jealously guarded, as reflected in the innumerable proposals that never left Independence Hall. Now imagine a provision perhaps inserted right after Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4, the naturalization Clause, which included among enumerated powers of Congress the following. and and Scalia makes up a, a hypothetical clause. It would say, quote, to establish limitations upon immigration that will be exclusive and that will be enforced only to the extent the president deems appropriate. The delegates to the grand convention would have rushed to the exits. As is often the case, discussion of the dry legalities that are the proper object of our attention suppresses the very human realities that give rise to the suit. Arizona bears the brunt of the country's illegal immigration problem. Its citizens feel themselves under siege by large numbers of illegal immigrants who invade their property, strain their social services, and even place their lives in jeopardy. Federal officials have been unable to remedy the problem and indeed have recently shown that they are unwilling to do so. Thousands of Arizona's estimated 400,000 illegal immigrants, including not just children but men and women under 30, are now assured immunity from enforcement and will be able to compete openly with Arizona citizens for employment. Arizona has moved to protect its sovereignty, not in contradiction of federal law, but in complete compliance with it. The laws under challenge here do not extend or revise federal immigration restrictions, but merely enforce those restrictions more effectively. If securing its territory in this fashion is not within the power of Arizona, we should cease referring to it as a sovereign state. I dissent. Scalia said all of this about a state and their power. the 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 notion that 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 you can't do anything when the feds don't want to enforce immigration law how much more so the president of the United States who is the federal because there it was the, the president was the opposite he wanted to invade the states with this Obama was doing that so you know they were pushing back here you have a president who wants to uphold or supposedly wants to uphold immigration law is he to be at the mercy Of the unelected district judge's refusal to recognize immigration laws? Really? Imagine, I mean, this is why I really miss Scalia. Because he would have spoken to to what's going on. And and, and the degree to what Texas and Arizona, certainly Texas, are dealing with today is much bigger than what illegal immigration was in 2012. The notion that you would allow this to go on I mean, that, that's what Scalia – Scalia said this a couple of times. Like, he said, first of all, you know, they're not violating – they're not contradicting. They're, you know, complementing federal law. But he also appealed to the fact that even without that, you reach a point where it's just sovereignty takes over, even for a state. But the feds – and what's interesting is one of the arguments, just so you know, one of the arguments that – um. uh, Obama's solicitor general was making at time he's like no the states just can't categorically call everyone illegal aliens it's not true because some of them are not really illegal because how do you know who's going to ask asylum that was actually one of the things so you know by them like criminalizing and detaining and doing all these things against people they could be asylees that the federal government genuinely wants to give legal status to Scalia didn't bite at that argument for states because, of course, the law, they're all illegal. There's a discretionary form of relief that you may grant if you want. Could you imagine Scalia seeing cases where the, the, the president of the United States is forced? No, they're not illegal. You have to let them in and you have to release it because maybe they have an asylum claim. No. No. There is nowhere to run or hide from this argument I'm making. You either make it and we preserve our country, or you lose it. If you're if you're if you're talking about tariffs, you've lost the debate. This is the speech that needs to be given, and we have a lot of other things to talk about. And I wish I could move on, but there's just so much breaking even as I'm talking now that buttresses our point. First of all, Drudge just put up our article on the main numbers from Texas it's at the dead center in the top, so. Hopefully that will make its rounds in the White House, but you know, I I just you know for example, one of, one of our longtime fans, listeners, a uh, friend of the show, emailed me. I think uh, talking, talking about Josh, so I I did read your email. I can't remember if I responded, but Josh is concerned that he not concerned, just said, hey, maybe at least talk a little bit more about the pro life victories that. You know, that's one bright area, a lot of pro-life victories. And I'll note that the problem with that is even the one area that looks bright, it's bright relative to every other issue they won't even pretend to fight. Here, at least, there's an element of Republicans, mainly on a state level or exclusively on a state level, that are at least willing to hold that line. But if you look, are we actually making progress on the outcome? That's all in the courts. And no, the courts will not make progress because we're not making progress on fighting judicial supremacism. If you can't even push back against the district judge controlling border wall construction and the entry of aliens, then certainly over something that has notoriously been in the courts for several generations and they've controlled it lock, stock, and barrel, there is no progress on the life issue until until you um, push back against judicial supremacy. And again, I'll note that while our audience certainly cares about that for the right reasons, a lot of these Republicans, it's only an easy out because there's so many stories now with babies being born at 20 weeks, and they have pictures and the technology Who doesn't love babies? So they could easily coincide the right thing to do with virtue signaling, which, look, I'm fine with that. But it doesn't portend any change in the party, any change in the movement, and any victory on anything. Sorry to put a damper on that. And certainly, we're not changing society. See, the real issues that matter is the homosexual agenda, the cultural stuff, and then immigration, things like that. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to have a pro-life hellhole. Okay, you continue down what we're doing now, you're not going to make any progress on that or any other issue. The left will have a permanent majority. So I can't get off of this. I I was going to move on, and some of the stuff we're going to have to push into next week. I was going to move on from immigration. But as we're on the air, (laughs) Breitbart puts out an exclusive U.S. Marine attacked on border surveillance mission and at the California border, literally what we've been talking about this week. Our our border is a war zone. It's an insurgency zone. This is a military issue. Now we have the military there, but they're not they're not doing military things. Um, they're sitting ducks, put in the most vulnerable circumstances. So kudos for to Bob Price and Brandon Darby for getting this exclusive. Um, I'm gonna try to follow up. I don't have too many contacts in California, but here's what they have you know, at the preliminary stage without any more confirmation. A U.S. Marine was attacked while working on the California-Mexico border by three unknown persons. Breitbart border team spoke with multiple sources operating under the umbrella of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, multiple sources operating under DOD and reviewed an official document detailing the matter. Officials are expected to publicly confirm the incident now that it has been made known to the public. Trusted sources working under the umbrella of CBP and DOD told Breitbart News that a group of three unknown individuals approached the mobile surveillance camera vehicle, mobile surveillance camera vehicle. So this was similar to what happened in Texas last month, opened the door and attempted to pull the Marine from the vehicle. Now, they don't identify who these guys are, cartel, illegals, but likely somewhere in that territory. Doesn't identify the exact spot other than the El Centro sector. That's the western part, the, the eastern part of the South Cal border. The marine pulled his firearm and fired one shot during a struggle with the attacker, according to a source and an official document obtained by Breitbart News. Well, at least that, I mean, <laughs> heck, at least that's good news that at least they're able to file fire a warning shot. Now, as my buddy Colonel Dan Steiner just said, that only matters if they know the next shot is through their body, which they. Don't believe we're going to do that. But anyway, the Marine was patrolling the border in the El Centro sector um, on May 29th when the vehicle developed a problem with their surveillance display. A Border Patrol agent working with the two Marines assigned to the Border Surveillance Mission directed one of the Marines to go with him for assistance. The second Marine waited with... With the vehicle. While he waited, the Marine was approached by a group of three unknown individuals. One of the three people reportedly opened the door to the vehicle and attempted to take control of the Marine's sidearm. During the struggle, the Marine fired his pistol on time, striking the forward looking infrared display unit mounted in the dash. The attackers fled at that point. During the border surveillance operations, the MSC vehicle. Operate in a blacked out condition. The condition restricts situational awareness from inside the vehicle, according to the official document obtained by Breitbart. Protocol calls for one of the pair of Marines to be on roving patrol outside the vehicle to provide security while the second Marine operates the surveillance equipment. Another source told Breitbart that one or more of the individuals were captured about two miles away from the vehicle. Now, I don't know how close this was to the border. You know, if it was like right on the border like the other incident or a little bit farther away. Um, if these were random criminals, could be leftists even who don't like border patrol. I mean, I don't know. But I'm just saying what we do know is that the Border Patrol and military whether it's active duty like this clearly was or National Guard, they are put in dangerous situations as sitting ducks rather than in combat mode. That is the problem. I rest my case. Okay, that is exactly what we're talking about. And meanwhile, you know, CBP is putting out on Twitter all this stuff about tunnels being dug in Arizona. Again, that's an invasion. That's an insurgency. Let's be honest here. So that's with that. Just to move on a little bit, I noted yesterday that one one good piece of news is that we're making progress on sanctions on Iran. Remember all that Doom and gloom. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. The price of oil is going to spike. And I said, what do you mean? I mean, we have record production and Saudi Arabia for once in a generation is actually on our side. And they're going to do everything they can to make the sanctions on Iran work for their purposes. So, you know, they're going to ramp up production and it's a win win. Well, guess what? What's the big story this week? Tumbling oil prices. Normally, it's right around Memorial Day when every year things really go up. It's going down. Biggest monthly drop in, um, in about seven, eight months. So now they're even, you know, worrying about the oil companies losing revenue. Brent crude was trading at uh, below sixty four bucks, so that that is working. Um, but then we have problems. It all gets back to the courts. So one of the great economic engines we have and national security tools, as we see is the ramping up of oil and natural gas production. You got to produce, you got to refine, you got to deliver. So there there's a juggernaut now where they can't deliver enough because of the pipeline system. Guess the anti guess what the antecedent to that problem is? The courts. <laughs> so isn't it interesting? It all the same Problem behind immigration is the problem behind every issue. So, getting back to the beginning of the show, the force-multiplying issue is very simple. At least militate against the jurisdiction of a district judge. That alone, meaning you have a certain amount of political capital to expend on a number of issues. Expend it on tariffs with Mexico, or just pushing back against lower court supremacism, that alone, that alone will give you everything you need on every issue. He's got to do that anyway. He's got to do that anyway. The other big impediment is ethanol. This administration, I mean, Trump, his love affair with ethanol, like, on the one hand, he's in love with You know, he understands fossil fuels and the need to really go pedal to the metal with it. But then he's bought out by ethanol. News today. Houston Chronicle. Gasoline with a higher concentration of ethanol, branded E15, can now be sold year-round, the EPA announced Friday. The EPA had long restricted sales of the fuel during the summer months to prevent against potentially dangerous increases in air pollution. But under pressure from Midwestern farmers... And when it says Midwestern farmers, it, it's the same thing as it says like doctors or healthcare. It's a cartel. It's a handful of lobbyists whose corn crops feed ethanol production. The Trump administration announced last year a plan to waive the restriction. So they implemented it now. Do you know what that's going to do to refineries that are already, you know, reaching their limit? Here's here's the thing. I'm all for E15, I'm for E85, I'm for E100. You can make whatever ethanol you want. I don't want to restrict you. But here's a problem. We have the ethanol mandate forcing us to use their thing. So here's So the more you increase their latitude without increasing the latitude of the oil refineries and the broader energy industry... You're shoving them more into ethanol mandates. And now they're going to have to purchase more RINs credits. So, um... That's going to kill these guys. You you know, I, I love it how, you know, the lobby for E15... They love to couch in terms of freedom and free markets. Or you're, you're regulating, we're anti-regulation. You're preventing us. Look, I'm all I'm all for that if you're on your own. But you can't have it both ways. You don't want to be regulated, but then you want to mandate everyone purchase their product. I have a better idea. Nobody has to purchase or blend your product, and then you could do whatever you want with it. Oh, whoops! Your thing is a load of crap. It wouldn't get anywhere without using the boot of government to force us to purchase your odious piece of garbage. That just really, I mean, there's is another example of the president undermining his populist message. But it's both free market and populist. A handful of lobbyists are destroying our energy production, which trickles down to Iran and national security. We could be doing so much better raising the cost of food and fuel for American families. I mean, it's the perfect populist issue that's not BS populism as an ends to itself. It's free market. Oh, but Iowa. Cruz won Iowa, beating Trump himself, taking the other side on the issue. Come on. Jeez. So that's, that's one thing with that, just really really gets to me. A couple other things here. AOC Alexandria Cortez, whatever her name is, joined with Chip Roy, Ted Cruz, and a couple others to introduce a bicameral, bipartisan bill barring members of Congress who retire from becoming lobbyists. Now, I want to, The main point I want to make has nothing to do with this bill. But now that I'm mentioning, I'm just going to give you my quick thought. I have no problem with it. I mean, I'm all for barring lobbyists. It's probably unconstitutional. I mean, depending on how they define what a lobbyist is. Maybe in a certain specific capacity, Congress could regulate that. But in general, as much as we don't like Congress critters, at the end of the day, once you're done, you're a private citizen. So to prospectively say you can't lobby, I mean, I could petition my government for anything I want. The issue is our government needs to run based on the Constitution. See, lobbyists only matter because, you know, I could take money and give it from some to others. I could regulate this. I could mandate. You can't mandate private industry and private people purchase ethanol. So like I'm all for ethanol lobbyists. You could lobby the veracity of your product all you want. Efficacy are your product. But you can't mandate that on me. Moreover, if you're going to go the populist route, term limits is better. But either way, you're going to need a constitutional amendment in my view. But, um, But that's not my point here. My point is, you look at AOC, and you see she really does believe. I mean, our side is so worried about her, bashing her and everything. And look, I'm no fan. I mean, her views are repugnant. She's not the brightest tool in the shed, but even with not being the brightest tool in the shed, look at how productive she is. I looked at that and I said, she really believes certain things, really is committed to pushing them. In this case, it reaches out to Chip Roy and Ted Cruz. Every day she's on to something else. Say what you want, but this is someone who every day of the week wakes up with an agenda. She's not a balloon in the wind. She has an agenda to drive every day, just like I do. There's very few of me on this side. But there's one other element. There's very few people on our side that do that, but there are a few like Chip Rory, whatever. But then there's a second thing that's lacking. AOC is not the sharpest tool in the shed. But she, has, she didn't create this movement. The movement created her. They have an existing movement. So anything she needs to draw upon, talking points, data, narratives, stories, press releases, money behind it, activism, rallies, free media, she's got it. She doesn't have to know a lot. She could go on and on. Environment, immigration, crime, lobby, boom, 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 boom. She can go on. Our guy's like, I'm telling you, even my best friends, it takes them five months to engage on an issue. And some of it is because who are they going to call for help? They have nobody to help them. You know, they know the media is going to slaughter them if they get any detail wrong, any fact wrong. And they reach out to me, Daniel, like, what's the story with the legalities of this on immigration? What's the story? And look, I'm just one person, handful of other people. They have thousands of people they could draw upon. All these NGOs that will supply them with everything they need. It was just a thought I, you know, that popped in my mind as I looked at AOC. Okay, and again, I'm just going through the lightning round of things I wanted to get get out of my chest. Um, my buddy is at the Texan. It's a new conservative publication in Texas that covers Texas politics. So their reporter actually got called on by Beto at one of his rallies and they asked him the question they cited our data that a third of people from Guatemala would like to come to America and that's millions of people so they asked him so do, do you would you do you believe we should bring in i forgot the number you know 7 million or whatever people you know is that should we do that now of course quietly the answer is yes and of course we know he wants that but amazingly even beto even while running in the intersectionality Olympics of the Democrat primary, where each one's trying to outlift each other, he couldn't stand up and say that. And he said instead, like, no, you know what we should be doing is giving aid to Central America so that they don't have to come here." I felt that was very significant because you know, if I were Trump, I'd, I'd extend my hand and say, "Hey, you know we piss away trillions of dollars anyway. No one cares about that anymore. Look, what's the price? What's the ransom? I mean, for the culture, security, and fiscal cost, the lifetime cost, in the hundreds of billions, hey, what do you need? 500 million, a billion? I'll give it to you. But the broader point is, notice he, when, when you actually bring the issue out, the starkness of the magnitude, the size, the effect of the migration, people don't want it, and they know that. It's like what I said with Palm Beach and Broward counties. Solid, solid blue counties. They did not want the dumping of illegals in their county. It tells you if we had a movement, it tells you that I'm not just like being idealistic here. If the president would have spent the last year or even month saying half the things I say in highly televised addresses on the policy, politics, effects, and legalities on immigration, we'd be living in a different world now. It would resonate. It would be reflected in 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 the, in the polls and the population. You would see that. The answers would be very easy at this point. Democrats would be on the ropes. But again, we do not have a movement. We don't have a movement. See, let me tell you the left. Let me tell you what a movement is. The left has an amazing movement. NBC has a headline out and, and there's a number of these headlines. They're, they're all over the place now. They have a headline out. Why are immigrant children dying in U.S. custody? And there's, there's Slate has it. And, you know, the amazing thing is what the left does, I say this all the time, all you need is a story or two. It happens once. Twice! Three or four I mean in five or six times you got a trend it's very easy to manipulate that you know as I noted my I have an article out yesterday how the mortality rate is 2.5 per hundred thousand under uh, under you know immigration detention in state and federal prisons it's like 225 per hundred thousand and even for even if you look at young people it's in the 30s 50s exponentially higher than these things it's like it's the exact opposite they have a remarkable track record and then of course most Americans in American prison they're coming from American health care these people are coming from no sanitary conditions indigenous population in in Guatemala no doctors and then they embark on the most perilous journey where they're locked up in trailers by the smugglers and you know malnutrition dehydrated everything. It's a pretty remarkable track record if you think about it. But that's the power. Yet we cannot make hay. They can make hay out of six deaths that weren't their fault, that if you understand just natural mortality, it's actually remarkable. And we will not make hay of at least 2,000 people killed every year in America by these people. Because we don't have a movement. I just I just don't get it. Moving on. Some of you might have seen the Wall Street Journal did a hit piece on Josh Hawley for god forbid standing up to the conservative legal movement and questioning a liberal republican judicial nominee. You could Google it's titled Josh Hawley's Legal Principles. Conservatives will suffer under his standard for judicial nominees. Yeah, yeah, like we want nominees that believe that the homosexual and transgender agenda is not codified into civil rights. Yes. Yes. They call it an acute danger. Hmm. Where's the cavalry defending Josh Hawley? I mean, here's a guy that finally is like, hey, you know, we, we talk about conservative judges. It's like, that's the end all. We're not going to fight judicial supremacy. We're not going to fight any other issue. The whole reason the Senate majority exists is to confirm conservative judges. So he's like, uh, could we like make sure that they're conservative? Like, am I allowed to vet them? Again, this guy didn't just say, oh, I was defending a client. I'm a lawyer. No, he said very clearly that legally there is no difference between denying service to someone for being black versus denying service to a gay wedding. That is one of the hottest issues percolating in the courts. And this guy is going to be a federal judge in the very district that he that this case went into court with. And it's like these guys just don't get it. But the Wall Street Journal editorial team, first of all they're they're dumb. They just they they don't know anything. They just like emote. They might read Drudge's headlines and like opine. They don't do what I do. They don't know anything. They don't speak to the right people. They don't study the issues. They don't educate. They're just a bunch of they really are. It's like growing up I was like, "Oh, that was the big intellectuals on the right would read the Wall Street Journal editorial but It's all a fraud. It's built off of a name. They don't know anything. Bunch of dummies. But this is what's controlling our so-called movement in the Republican Party. I mean, this is what Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell read. That's where they get their news from. So they certainly are very impactful. But... You know, where, where are the people fighting Holly, we're, we're all looking for a hero. So this is a guy that actually puts himself out on the line. And I'm not seeing that. The, the, this is what bothers me both from the Trump rear end lickers and then the obsessive anti-Trump people on the so-called right. Like, we're all looking for a hero. So they either they make Trump a hero or they make him a villain. And really, like this is the perfect example. Both Chip Roy and Josh Hawley are making a stand on a very impactful leverage points. If you're for Trump's agenda, you should support both of them in in their endeavors. One holding up the disaster aid so he can get border funding. Another one holding up liberal judicial nominees that will absolutely join in nullifying Trump stuff. And then the Never Trumpers too. I mean officially Trump's supporting the bill and Chip is opposing it and this is Trump's nominee and Holly's blocking it so you could have your cake and eat it too but no, they'll only hit Trump from the left. There just are no principled, consistent conservatives left. I, I feel like there's a political Chernobyl or Hiroshima and just walking in the ruins like, hey, where did everyone go? Is there not a single issue anyone cares about anymore? Boy, but I I got to give you my latest hot take on the post-Muller, post-post-post-Muller, Muller, Muller. Because, of course, that's all that matters. I mean, look, I'll take 50% Mueller. I'll take 70% Mueller focus. But could we have something on the courts, on immigration, on sovereignty, all of its trickle-down aspects, which really covers almost every other issue between the two of those issues, healthcare, spending, a vision on foreign policy. Well, I don't know. I'm certainly proud to have supplied that this week. Had a great week here at Conservative Review. We're going to do this again next week. We're looking forward to a little rebranding of the show, as I, as I noted, in the coming weeks. You know, I'll just leave you with this. Two miles, two miles from my home, it was reported in the Baltimore Sun last night that a severed head of a likely Hispanic woman was found in an apartment complex in a shopping cart. And there really are no other details. A severed head. Now, People just ignore this intuitively because, you know, yeah, Baltimore killings is the murder capital of the country, of course. But, it, but no, this is there, there's something very important here. Severed head of, an, of a Hispanic woman. That's very likely not the typical black gangs in Baltimore City doing their thing. They, they shoot people. This is very likely the hallmarks of either cartel, transnational gang, or both. And this is what I mean by everything is still very subtle and gradual. And not not enough people wake up, but if you if you clue them in, they'll understand it. But you need someone cluing them in. There's a man with a great bully pulpit. And that man, whether you love him or okay with him. tolerate him or hate him on the right. The reality is he's got the only ability to do anything now. Another reality is he is very sensitive to conservative pressure. You see, just what I've been able to accomplish is one person. Boom, do an article, get the information. It's headline on Drudge. It will get to him. Imagine if we had just 15 other people doing this, even at my level, much less your Hannity's, your rushes of the world. Imagine the bully pulpit the president would be pressured into using and what the country would look like. It's, It's doable. The country is not lost because we can't do anything. It's because we won't. All I could do for now is what I'm doing. I could try to work with like-minded people, find like-minded people, convince like-minded people. I appreciate a lot of you ask me, Daniel, like, what's the next step? I'm struggling with this together with you. I don't know, but the best I can u- do is use this gift of freedom of speech to continue telling the truth in a unique and detailed way and to keep improving every week. And that's that's what I hope to do. Thank you all for another terrific week. Same time, same place on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. God bless y'all.